It's Minions and Musings, the holiday edition. Yes, because I love Trans-Siberian Orchestra and felt it would be something a little different for this end of the year podcast. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy Holidays to everybody. I hope you have had a great Christmas and are getting ready to have a fantastic New Year's. As we move into 2024. Ah, yes. So much fun. And it's leap year this year coming up. So let's see what happens with that. Extra day to get some gaming in. So what are we've got here? Well, we're going to finish off the year with call-ins. And then a quick little, well, a little bit of amusing. But sort of also outline... You know, what you can look forward to in the weeks ahead as we go forward into 2024 and such. And if things work out, uh, there's another gaming convention that happens to be local to me. And hopefully they finish putting up, um, I heard a rumor of a update to their gaming schedule, which they may actually put in an RPG or two that I might want to play in. But not entirely certain at the moment. So hopefully by the time I get ready to publish this, we will, uh, I'll know much more likely what's going on. Anyway, so let's get to the calls. I guess we'll take things in order. As far as contact poison on treasure, it's psychological warfare's why you do that, go look up Project Eldest Son, also known as Italian Green and Pole Bean. Go, you know, look at the history of that, the idea of sabotaging ammunition so troops don't trust the supply chain. I mean, that goes back way, way back. It was used against the British in the 19th century we, we see it, you know, used different places in the 20th century, including, as I mentioned, Eldest Son, which was something that the U.S. did against the Vietnamese forces, you know, sneaking in sabotaged rounds of ammunition so their weapons would explode and the troops wouldn't trust their ammunition. It's the same kind of thing with the treasure. If you only have 100 gold pieces and that's what you have squirreled away, you're not going to put contact poison on it. But if you know you have adventurers coming in your dungeon, in your keep, if you're worried about that and you're getting worried enough to put booby traps and traps around anyway, then you're probably willing to sacrifice a little bit of gold to put that contact poison because that's going to teach those adventurers a lesson. And it's going to make them scared. They're going to know why they fear the night, as Thulsa Doom would say. So that's why you use contact poison. Jason from the Nerds RPG Variety Cast and frequent caller in to our show and we appreciate him. Um, Let's see. I appreciate your effort there. I mean, I did say uh, at my last show to come up with a, a good reason for having contact poison, why it would be there. Um, Teaching those pesky adventurers a lesson. It still sounds like you trapped it. 
still sounds like you created a trap. Yes, to be psychological warfare, and it is something they would use, which, like you said, with the ammunition, the same thing, they can't trust the supply chain, etc. But here's the thing. In your ammunition thing, you're basically sabotaging ammunition that the enemy is going to use so they can't trust it. You're never going to use it. So that example, while it's good, it's not quite, it's not quite the same. And if you're setting aside some monies, sacrificing it to teach these guys a lesson, then you're basically setting a trap, letting them know, hey, we can't trust this stuff. Are you protecting other monies? Yes. But that's because you set a trap. I mean, would an effective trap also be like they walk towards uh, this treasure area and they hit this little pool of light mm -hmm. and these spikes come, you know, railing down from the ceiling and stab them. I mean, do that and you don't know where it's happening at or even better, why don't you have, you know, you know a light ray that they touch. Oh, let's avoid that. Oh no, you just stepped on a pressure plate, which does the same thing. I mean, do it a couple times with different things and they might get the idea like anytime we see treasure like this, you know, we, we could, we don't know what sort of thing. It's all trapped. And therefore, but see, that's just me. If you do contact poison, yeah. Okay. I mean, you're teaching them, you're, you're trying to discourage them. Yeah. Psychological warfare. So yeah, I, I'm just, I'm not totally on board with it, but I agree. Good usage there. You did have something else to say about my last episode. So let's step over to that message. As far as safety tools go, I think safety tools make a ton of sense in a convention setting. I think they make a ton of sense when you're playing with people you don't normally play with, you're playing with for the first time. There's a lot to be said, and safety tools aren't always the X card. You know, there are actually issues with the X card and the way it gets implemented that I, I don't know. I, I think the it's a good thought, and it comes from a good place. But psychologically, when you look, I don't think it's actually been vetted by psychological professionals the way it's implemented. Uh, but that said, I'm in favor of safety tools when appropriate. And I do think when playing with a new group, when doing a convention game, something like that, you can do, I, I forget what they're called, but the, you can do like, they have checklists where you can, and, you, you know, basically there's a list of things and people can mark, you know, things like, you know, injuring pets or sexual scenes or, you know, violence against children, stuff like that. And and so you can figure this out because you're not going to know before they show up at your table. And whether that ends up being you adjust your scenario or you just tell that player, listen, you're not going to want to play in my game, you're going to find out before it goes bad. So I, I don't see an issue with that. The other thing is with, especially with PTSD kind of stuff, you know, there are times people don't know until it happens. You know, they, they don't know something's going to trigger them. But I think that's beyond the realm of what you can do with safety tools. So I don't know that that's really appropriate here. But I do think doing the, is it lines and veils, I think, where you have like the, the list of different items and players can mark one, you know, this is okay. You know, for this one, I want to fade to black, that kind of thing ahead of time. Ideally, you would do that with enough time for the GM to then 
prep the session, right? Um, if you're playing an online game, you could probably do that. If you're just showing up at a convention, maybe you can't. But if nothing else, you can let the player know, hey, this isn't going to be a good fit for you. So I, I do think there's a place for that. So I, I will not push back against you because at your home group, you're playing with the minions. Yeah, you don't need that. But that said, people's tastes change over the years too. You know, the media they consume changes over the years. There are things we liked as kids that we may not enjoy today, right? So as people change, people in your group change and their tastes change, maybe the limits and the things they want to see in the games are going to change too. But at that point, hopefully you can have that conversation within the group to deal with that. So I, again, I think your your private group that you've played with for years is a different situation. But there's a definite place in conventions and first-time games and things like that, I think. But, you know, that's just my opinion, and I'm definitely not enforcing that on you or telling you you have to play that way. But I do want to defend the idea to some degree. Thank you for echoing a lot of what I said there, Jason. And you're right. You know, when we don't know who we're playing with, when we might be playing in a... a getting into subject area that may be possibly triggering somebody having some of those tools. Yeah. I can see where they're, they're at. Um, I also think that a description, if it is done correctly in the advertisement of the game should give enough information to let somebody know that. And if you possibly have disturbing things in there, Saying it is also, you know, just, just nice, you know? It, it's polite. If you know something's going to possibly offend somebody, let them know ahead of time. You know, let's, let's be nice to each other before we get ugly, you know? So, yeah. And like you said, you know, private group. You know, it's chase change over time. I hope that as a player as a person that those who know me and know my taste, if they don't want to have some of that and so forth, and I propose a game, I hope that I'm approachable enough for them to go, Hey, are you going to have a, B, C in the game? And if I've got B in the game, like, Oh yeah, I might have that. Then they can hopefully say, yeah, I'm not, I don't really want to have that. Or can we not do that or something like that? Okay. I mean, if that's central to my game, okay, then I might need to change things. But, you know, you know what it is. So, thank you for your call there. Let's move on to the next person. Hey, Evil Jeff, this is Joe from the Decahedron RPG Podcast. Glad to hear that you're back. I'm sorry about the whole COVID thing. Uh, unlike others, I am taking the blame. Uh, apparently, when I was coming back from Florida, when I was on vacation there in October, I flew over your house and I accidentally sneezed and uh, the germs floated down to the surface and got you sick. So I'm sorry about that. I'll take the blame. <laughs> anyway, this is about two things. Topic number one is going to be about Through Dungeons Deep. And then the subtopic from that is going to be about... Contact poison, because everybody else has talked about it. 
So first of all, about Through Dungeons Deep, I'm glad that you enjoyed the book. I'm glad that you got a lot of content out of it. You were our first ever uh, contest winner on Decahedron. It looks like you got a lot of good mileage out of the prize. So so awesome. Uh, one of the things that you said that I found interesting was that your book had all three appendices, whereas the newer books don't. And I think what happened there is when I went to order the book for you, I went on Amazon and it was unavailable and I was freaking out. I'm like, oh no, what what am I going to do? I'm going to have to buy him an original and those are going for a lot of money these days. And then I said, well, let me look at Barnes and Nobles and Barnes and Noble had one. And so you got yours from Barnes and Noble, whereas James got his from Amazon and I got mine, my the Kindle version from Amazon. And I also have the old original edition from the 80s hardback that I've had forever. My guess is that when he made the Amazon edition, he did some edits that he didn't do for the Barnes & Noble edition. So that's my guess as to what happened there. Uh, The other thing you said was that it felt like a bunch of standalone things, like they could have been blog posts, like he was ahead of his time. That's interesting. What he actually says is that they were written originally as Dungeon Magazine articles, because he was in college at the time, and he found that he could get some beer money if he <laughs> sent articles into Dragon Magazine. And then he looked around one day at how many he had planned, and he said, you know, this is enough for a book. So he decided to write a book instead. So yes, they were the blog posts of the day, which were magazine articles. All right, so finally, the contact poison. I'm going to give you two justifications why that contact poison maybe isn't as silly as it first comes across. The first thing is that maybe the contact poison on the treasure is okay because it was never meant to be spent. Maybe this was grave goods. This chest was in a tomb with the body of a dead pharaoh. You know, the King Tut was big in the in the 70s and all the riches that were found in his tomb. Uh, pyramids are notoriously booby-trapped. And so it is logical that trying to protect it from grave robbers, that perhaps they would use contact poison. But the second one, second reason, the one I like, the better one, is that the contact poison isn't actually there if you are the owner. What I'm saying is, if this was your treasure, you have the key to the chest and you just, you know, you open the lock on the chest, you open it up, and the money is fine. The contact poison comes to play because the chest itself is trapped such that if it's manhandled badly that these thin walls that hold the vials, or maybe the vials are just scattered throughout the treasure itself, uh, shatter, releasing contact poison. Because if you remember, they treat the chest rather poorly in the example, right? They throw a lasso around it and they pull it from where it is in case there's any uh, pressure plate traps or trap doors or anything like that where the, the, the chest is, and then they tip it violently on its side in case there's any forward-facing, like the infamous poison needle trap or darts that fly out of the chest. And then they take a crowbar and they smash open the bottom. It's all very violent. And so if you're being that violent to this chest, these little trap things might be triggered where it would release uh, the contact poison. And that would be your your dead giveaway if you're the owner because you'd come in and you find the chest not where it was and dead bodies around. And then you know, oh, I need to burn off the poison. But overall, yeah, I do think it's a little overkill. I don't think I would uh, use that 
But yeah, it was funny that you called that out because if you remember right, that was my favorite section of the book, but not the contact poison part. You know, I, my, in my memory from reading it in the 80s, I don't even remember the contact poison part, but I do remember a part like where if they opened it up from the bottom like that, they would automatically detect any false bottoms. And that was never mentioned. And I could swear that I remember it being mentioned. But like I said, I have the original printing book and it's not there. So that's just one of those Berenstein bear moments type thing, uh, Mandela effect things. Uh, anyway, I've talked for six and a half minutes, so I'm going to wrap this up. Thanks for your show. I'm glad you're feeling better. You're awesome. Thanks. Bye. Yeah, there's Joe from the Decahedron podcast and website. Uh, also the owner of the Play Forums. If you haven't been there, please join us. It has been a little quiet, um, but that's just, you know, how it is, ebb and flow and so forth. But with more people, we probably have a little bit more uh people talking which would encourage more people to talk so hey come join us look down in the show notes and you'll see the address there so yeah i appreciate it joe thank you for trying to take the blame there but you know i i can't i can't blame you on that one i can't let you fall on the sword for other people well actually i probably could well besides that so, yeah, thank you for uh, the book. Yes, it was great to get mileage out of it. And I did go back and look real quick, and that section does not talk about false bottoms. There is no false bottom in there, though I think I read that somewhere else before saying, hey, you know, if you flip it over on the bottom, you know, flip it on its side, you know, take apart the bottom, you might catch a false bottom, things like that. Um, the other thing that you were talking about, the blog posts, you know, and he was making magazine articles. I mean, wow. I, <laughs> uh, and I guess I never thought about that being the age of the book, but that would, that makes all the sense in the world of how it's presented. So thank you for that information there as well. Uh, your presentation of the Contact Poison, uh, presentation number two. Yeah, I can see that, but that's just you trapping it and trapping it in such a way that if somebody does something, you know, they did something trying to get around, you know, potential traps and lid that you could sucker them that way. And quite honestly, putting little vials in there. And what I would probably also do is put a vial, a, a, obvious potion bottle or something like that. Some of the potions would come in um, and have that in there, have it filled with some other liquid and let it break. And then other things that broke, you know, other glass that broke, like, oh no. And that's where my contact poison would be. But that's still, that's trapping it, but protecting it in such a way that still allows you as the owner to get to it. So I like that. But your first one, that I think is, exactly right was never meant to be spent this is protecting the treasure that is supposed to go to the afterlife with the pharaoh with you know the nobleman the king whoever so it's never meant to be spent at all and this is a way to protect it you know as long as it's not religious to me i think if, you know unless the god per se you know has affinity to poison or things like that. And I wouldn't say religious objects should have it on there, but that I think that 
that first one really is that it's there to protect it so no one ever takes it because it's never meant to leave. And yes, that is a trap, but it is a specific purpose for that contact poison. That to me is probably one of the few out there. Now, if somebody else has something about contact poison, you know, a real legitimate loot use, then please share it. You know, again, what we're saying is on stuff that's supposed to be spent. Even though Joe just gave me one, I agreed with it that it's never meant to be spent. Okay, well, <laughs> I can't have it both ways or something like that. All right, well, let's see. My response and your message makes up, you know, at least 10 minutes. So that's, hey, that's one of your shows. I like that. <laughs> but I do appreciate you calling in. And we've got one more caller. Hey, Evil Jeff, it's Che from Roleplay Rescue. Just wanted to say... I'm really glad you have enjoyed creating the elven stuff for Felmir. I really enjoyed having you in the game and, and also doing that stuff. Um, two things to say. First of all, I think Felmir is rapidly becoming our world, uh, not mine. Uh, I know that I sketched out a map, uh, which took me about 10 minutes, and I had uh, Fernando Cervatero, uh, Fernando Cervatero, sorry, kind of do that player map for the kids at school, and the kids at school are playing. But you guys also you know, you're playing and what you're adding is just amazing. So I really, I really appreciate you doing it. And of course, of course, dude, you can talk about it on your show. It's absolutely fine. Um, and most of what you've, you've come up with, you know, is just really cool. Really, really, uh, I mean, there's been like the odd little thing that I would tweak, but you know what? That's, that's the, the meeting of minds, isn't it? That, that whole thing where we have to negotiate around, but I just wanted to say, if you needed it, of course, of course, talk about it. I'd, I'd be delighted. In fact, Felmir has taken on a life far beyond, far, far beyond kind of my humbled little mind. So, uh, yeah, you go with that, brother. And, um, yeah, game on. And, and by the way, uh, contact poison. <laughs> it will not die, but it does make me laugh when you go on a rent. Game on, brother. And we always thank Che of Roleplay Rescue for calling in and encouraging me and for putting out great content on his show that's uh, really a necessity to listen to. So, uh, yeah, so will I talk about Felmir? Sure. And since Daniel wants to hear a little bit about world building, and I think other people may be interested in this, you know, how do you do some world building in a shared way? You know, is it just, hey, do we all get together and you create this and you create that and you create something else and we throw it all together? Or how do we go about it? So I think I will talk about Felmir in future episodes, how I approached it, what I thought about. And, you know, this is also world building. So do I want to go into, you know, I'm, we'll go into the idea of, what I would think about with worlds, you know, and, and, and is this going to be like, Oh, you should do it this way. No, but I think hearing these things, you know, whether we are watching a video, whether we are hearing on a podcast or talking about with somebody, I think we can all gather information and maybe somebody goes, Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's a, that's a good idea. I use it or I've never tried it this way. Maybe that would work for me. You know, you never know until you try. 
But if you never hear about it, how you know what options there are? So, you know, everybody's been talking about the book from the Alexandrian, so you want to be a GM. I mean, advice from his blog for years and years and years. He's finally collated and, you know, re-edited and put into a, into a format that everybody can read offline. You know, it sounds like it's great information. You know, somebody's got, you know, wants to know how to be a GM. Yes, watching somebody else, like Che has done, if you've been listening to Roleplay Rescue, how the uh, one of the students at the uh, D&D club at school, he basically, you know, made an apprentice to a degree, let him see behind the screen, do things, and, un, you know, start learning, which is a great way of doing it. You know, we also can learn by being in these games with these dungeon masters and seeing how they go about things. So, you know, how much world building have you done? Does it fall flat? You know, well, how do you do world building with somebody else? Well, I'll, I guess it's you know, not too bad for me to share an experience that I'm having in doing this. And maybe other people get something out of it, so... It gives me something to talk about for a bit. So Daniel over at Bandit's Keep, you know, those future episodes are for you. And yes, I think people are just going to keep mentioning Contact Poison and bringing it up because they want to hear me rant. I think Jay has finally hit the nail on the head. Some people just want to hear me rant because they find it humorous. Mmm, okay. <laughs> you know I, lo I love you, Jay. You're... You're a good man, and appreciate all that you do. All right, so how are we gonna wrap this up? Can we just can we talk about the silly string? I wanted to end the podcast today with just some information about uh, the podcast itself this year. I had looked at the Spotify review and everything, but I decided to go back and count. And only put out, barring, you know, minus this one, uh, 27 episodes of the podcast. Which, you know, if I was doing one every other week, I mean, that works out pretty well. Uh, but that's not typically how I do it. So, really looking at it, that first half of the year, really, it was a lot of radio silence from me. Um, which, I know I had excuses there and looked at them. Uh, you know, legitimate things have stopped me and so forth, but honestly, I look back on it and thinking, what was I really doing? And was that really an excuse? So, you know, I think for a new year, I'm going to definitely try to be a little bit more consistent and plan some things out, but I guess it was good to be in a consumption mode. Now I can kind of identify when I need to be in one, when I don't and work from there. But I also want to take a moment to thank everybody. Uh, all the people that called this year. Uh, no, the order is just as I went through and saw the names. Uh, Jason over at Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Che Webster over Roleplay Rescue. Uh, Joe over to Decahedron Podcast. Dark Fluid, which I think might have a podcast, but I don't remember. Uh, Bravus. Uh, John Allen Large. Over at Red Dice Diaries podcast, uh, Michael, also known as Merc the Meek, 
and his podcast that's just started, good stuff, and Daniel over Bandit's Keep. And do not want to forget uh, Rob over Down a Heap. I almost coughed there. I had to pause the recording. Thank you all for calling in this year. But also, just as important, all the people that I know are listening. I go and look at the numbers, and pretty sure that I've got 24 to 30 people on average listening. And then other people, I guess, come by and hit it up here and there. Uh, if you look at all the statistics and so forth. But that's, you know, that's the thing I like. I know there are people out there listening and hearing things. So whether or not you call in doesn't bother me. I know there's a conversation going on. Having been a technical instructor for seven years, I know that you can give a lot of information to people and some of them are just, you know, they're absorbing it. Some of them get little bits here and there and say thank you at the end. Never talk at all. Other one, other people want to ask you questions and understand things. It's the nature of it. And these podcasts are very much the same way. I'm presenting thoughts and ideas and information. And I see that you listen to it. I thank you for it. <clears throat> so, as we go into the new year, I wish you well. Hope you continue to listen. If you've got ideas for topics that you want to throw at me, email, call, whatever. But as I said before, we'll go ahead and start talking about some of the shared world stuff that I've done with Che at Roleplay Rescue and the Felmere world that we're creating. And then something, anything else that strikes my fancy. Somehow Contact Poison is going to make itself back in there. I just know it will. It's just, it's the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, that doesn't seem right with contact poison. How does it keep giving to you? I don't know. Be safe out there. Have a wonderful new year. See you soon.